Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My friends, here on the fourth Sunday of Eastertide, we find an exhortation given to us at the very beginning of Mass within the intro week that you heard the choir sung just as Mass began today. And that encouragement, that exhortation is that we are to be a people who consistently are singing a new song of praise unto the Lord for the salvation that our God has wrought for us. The intro week, the words in the intro week come from Psalm 98. Let me read those words to you. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. And if we were to look further in Psalm 98, the psalmist continues. For the Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. St. Peter Chrysologus, he was the Bishop of Ravenna in A.D. 433. They gave him the name Chrysologus. It's not his last name. It's like St. John Chrysostom. It means golden mouthed, right? Because of his gift for oration and teaching. St. Peter Chrysologus was named golden worded because of how succinctly and how perfectly and wonderfully he expressed the truths of our faith to God's people. St. Peter Chrysologus, talking about Psalm 98, listen to his teaching. He says, sing joyfully to God all the earth. Why is it that after God commands so great, so terrifying, or gave commandments so great, so terrifying, and so awesome, how he now invites all the earth to shout for joy? What other reason is there than the following? The awesome God later on chose the role of a very gentle shepherd. He assumed this character in order to act mercifully as a shepherd and to gather together like straggling sheep into one fold. Those wandering peoples, those strained nations, those tribes scattered far and wide that with grace by shepherdly kindness he might save the nations that their own natural wildness had long been destroying. What is it that St. Peter is commending us towards? He's saying that our call to shout with God with a new song of joy, a new song of praise to him, is entirely based on the absolute wonder of God's salvation that he has become for us and that he has wrought for us. I thought about this throughout most of the week in his words, and it dawned on me, I really believe our lives would change so infinitely and drastically if we caught just a glimpse of two things at the same time. Just an honest glimpse of the depth of our need for salvation. And at the same time, just a glimpse, just an eye-opening of the depth of the salvation and how far God went to provide salvation for those of us who are in such deep need. If we saw that very clearly, how much more would our lives not only rejoice, 
But how much more would our lives laid down as an offering of praise to God saying, use me however. You have saved me. You have redeemed me. You have made me new. My life is now an offering in response to you. Glorify yourself. Let others taste the salvation that I've tasted in my life. Perhaps we saw those things. That's what St. Peter is saying. Therefore, we sing a song, a new song of praise every day of our life. Why a new song? Because he is constantly doing wonders in our life to save us. He is constantly showing us himself by the way that he delivers us on a daily basis. If we have our eyes open. And it lends us to a heart that rejoices in him. My mind went back to the words of St. Paul that we heard on the fourth Sunday of Lent. From Philippians in chapter 4. St. Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. And you heard me say on that day that an antidote to our anxieties, an antidote to our fears is our offering up thanksgiving to God. With from our heart and out of our mouth, we lift it up to God. It shifts our entire focus. Our face becomes set like flint on the God of our salvation, not on the turmoil of the world around us. And we see him very clearly. We talked about that. But you know, St. Paul goes on to help us even further how to cultivate such a relationship with God. That he fills us with joy and praise that comes back out towards him. Because St. Paul continues his teaching like this. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do in the God of peace will be with you. He's saying we are to set the eyes of our soul. We are to focus our very lives upon all these things, thoughts on things that are true, that are noble, just, pure, lovely, full of virtue. But I have a question for you. And it's a question we need to always remember. What, what is truth? How do we know what is true? How do we know what is noble? How do we know what is just, what is lovely, what is full of virtue? St. John Chrysostom answers that question in his homily on that passage by St. Paul. When St. John Chrysostom says, whatever is lovely simply means this. It refers to that which is lovely to God. It refers to that which is lovely to God. In other words, the only way for us to know truth that we can focus on, the only way to know nobility, the only way to know true justice, to know loveliness, the things that are lovely, to know absolute virtue is to know the God who is all of these things. And then we focus our mind upon him and he teaches us truth and nobility and virtue and justice and loveliness and so on. And we set our minds on those things every day of our existence. Setting our mind on things eternal. For he is eternal. As are all of these things that St. Paul is talking about. What it really boils down to is that St. Paul is telling us. If we want to have praise welling up in our hearts. And sing to God a new song. And pray to him so with supplications and with thanksgiving. Then seek God himself. 
Seek God himself. Come to him and cultivate a relationship with him. Learn from all that he shows you. Set the focus of your soul on these things. In fact, St. Paul says, meditate on them. It's not just think on them. Meditate on them. It's a great word. It means this. Let these things weigh so beautifully heavily on your mind. Let them be an anchor to you. Let them be right in front of your face so that your face doesn't go any other direction. Meditate on all that God shows you about himself and your heart will be filled with the peace of God. And that peace of God is something I think all of us are constantly yearning for, stillness in our soul. Tranquility in our very being. This is not a stillness. This is not a tranquility. This is not a peace that is determined by what is happening in your life at any given time. This is a peace only that comes supernaturally by the experience of God in our lives, no matter what is going on around us. To go further with this, throughout the week, my mind went back to what St. Peter Chrysologus talked about. There's an image that he gives of Christ to us I think we need to attain to this morning. He teaches that we rejoice, we sing this new song of praise because God has made himself a gentle shepherd for us, gathering us to himself, saving us and delivering us. And this is why we sing that great song of praise. In the mass of the second Sunday of Eastertide, which that day we, didn't, we were not able to do because we had the finding of the Holy Cross on that day. But if we had it, we would have heard the gospel reading from the gospel of St. John in chapter 5, where our Lord Jesus Christ proclaims himself this. He says, I am the good shepherd. And every time I see him say, I am the good shepherd, everything in my mind goes back to the blessed words of King David who was a shepherd that wrote that beautiful psalm, the 23rd Psalm, granting us an understanding of the very heart and nature of God as a shepherd to his people. Let's listen to this for a moment. Remember in the 23rd Psalm, the first thing that the psalmist says, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And in every translation that you'll ever see in the Bibles, you will see Lord in all capital letters. It's the only time you see this in the Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd in all capital letters. And the reason for that is King David is using the name that was never to be uttered of God because it was so holy. In other words, Yahweh. The great I am. The one who was in the beginning. The one, the Alpha and the Omega. This is the one who is my shepherd, he says. And he says, I shall not want. There will never be a time in the life of a sheep that remains in the flock of our Lord and that follows the directions and the leading of the shepherd. There will never be a time that one sheep will lack what that sheep absolutely needs at any given time. Notice I did not say what that sheep wants at any given time. But what the sheep needs at any given time. The hand of the shepherd will always make sure there is provision. And we see this picture also in the 23rd Psalm. Of the shepherd, it says, he leads me beside still waters. He leads me to these green pastures. So from green pasture to green pasture, still and quiet waters so that I can be at peace to other still and quiet waters. But then there are times, 
And he says it in Psalm 23, there are times that a shepherd has to lead the sheep in order to get to the next green pasture through something called the valley of the shadow of death. And my friends, this has, been, this has come to be known because it's often read at funerals or just before someone passes. And there's nothing wrong with the reading of it at that time. But this isn't about the deathbed. That's not shepherd's language. The valley of the shadow of death was a title given to a particular type of terrain that a shepherd was going to have to lead the sheep through to get to the next place where he could feed them and water them. The valley of the shadow of death would look like this. Think of a tight path through hills, very steep hills or mountains. And if you've ever walked through a nature trail like that, you know the sun can't always get onto the path. Well, the valley of the shadow of death also would have boulders and brush that would cast shadow. In other words, the valley of the shadow of death was a place where predators who sought to destroy the life of the flock could very easily hide. The valley of the shadow of death was an absolutely treacherous place. And even shepherds use that term in Israel today. They call a valley of the shadow of death a place where the sheep could very well be in danger if it was not for the shepherd. Is it that the psalmist says, referring to himself as a sheep and God as his shepherd? Yea, though I walk through such a treacherous time and place where so many things seek to devour me, what does he say? I will not fear. But then the most important thing is why will I not fear? Because Yahweh is with me. Because God, my shepherd, is with me. His rod and his staff, they are a comfort to me. Why? Because the rod was the weapon of a shepherd that would destroy any animal that sought to destroy any of his flock. And he would do so with diligence and vigor. And what was the staff? The staff was the staff with the crook at the end of it. So that if any sheep, while they're walking at any time, much less in the valley of the shadow of death, would veer off and place themselves in a dangerous position, he would very quickly respond by getting that sheep with the crook, running to it if necessary, and bringing it back into the safety of the fold. This is a shepherd. Our God is a shepherd that is constantly warring for your salvation and your deliverance. He is a God who's active in doing everything should you remain in his flock doing everything to protect you and provide for you every good thing that comes from him. Therefore, the psalmist says, I will not fear. No sheep in a flock that has come to know the shepherd, no sheep in a flock that has become attuned to hear the voice of that shepherd lives and dwells constantly in fear and turmoil and anxiety. Because they have seen and they've come to know the actions of the shepherd on their behalf. And so they so much more willingly now over time are willing to entrust their very life and existence to their good shepherd. And this is what we are being told about us today. My friends, one of the things that God wants to get into our hearts today and stay with us for our own discernment. But also so that we know when we're turning our face away from him at times. He wants us to remember this. And I want you to write this in your minds. Our experience 
in this life, our experience in this life is entirely dependent on where we set the focus of our soul. And that can be at any moment, that can be at any season of our lives, our experience, how we experience this life, whether it's in the peace that God provides for with that blessed tranquility of soul, or in fear and in anxiousness and worry, our experience in this life is totally dependent on where we set the eyes of our soul at any given time. Those who gaze upon God will have what is promised. The peace of God that comes only from knowing Him, experiencing Him, and seeing how greatly He, deliver us. he delivers us every blessed day of our lives. And you know what? When we take our eyes off of the shepherd and we start to wander away from the flock a little bit and go our own way or become distracted, whether it's distracted by temptations that seek to destroy the soul or the anxiousness and fears that this world wants to present to us at any given time, when we take our eyes off Christ, we, begin, we will begin to sink and drown in life just like our own St. Peter. When in the midst of that incredibly horrific storm where the disciples feared their lives, when he took his eyes off Christ, what happened? He sunk into the water and was drowning, and even yet still the Lord went to redeem him. It really has to do with us and where we place the gaze of our souls. And I would tell you, when you're experiencing fear, not if, when your humanity is experiencing fear, when it's experiencing anxieties and worries and concerns over this life, let that be a very quick discernment to you that something's gone wrong. If I'm experiencing those things, let it jog your memory. Somehow my eyes have gotten off my good shepherd. Place them back upon, remain there, and his peace will follow. My friends, those who understand and come to know and experience the, the deliverance of Christ as their good shepherd in their lives, and learn his voice, and have seen daily his deliverance in their own lives, those remain with him. They keep the eye of their soul set upon him. And what happens is what we find in Psalm 98. The Christian, no matter what the circumstances of this life are presenting, the Christian is at a peace that this world cannot understand and they cannot even explain. Because it is a promise of God that those who set their face upon him and remain in him, to them he will grant them the miracle of that peace. We are in such a time where there are a lot of worries right now. A lot of what-ifs, a lot of concerns, jobs and money and economy and health and our bodies and so on. And our Lord just looks at us again and again and he says, why do you worry about your life? Look at me. Come to me if you're worried and heavy laden. And I will give you the rest, the rest I grant my sheep. Keep your eyes focused upon him. Learn from him. He will keep you steady all the days of your life. Christ is risen. Indeed he is risen. Christ is risen. Indeed he is risen. Christ is risen. Indeed he is risen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.